Mark Boucher. This is episode 32 bonus material. On Monday, February 5th, the day after we recorded episode 32 of our SpaceQ podcast on SpaceX, Elon Musk held a short teleconference to answer questions from the media on the upcoming Falcon Heavy launch. As you'll hear, he has some additional information that you'll surely appreciate. Enjoy. Your first question comes from Sean O'Kane from Bridge. Your line is open. Uh, hey, John, I saw some um, information that uh, with the coast that's happening um, after the last stage separates, that there's a chance that uh, the, the Tesla might not make it out of low Earth orbit. I was wondering if you guys could elaborate on that. Yeah, that's true. The, uh, we're going to be testing something on this flight, which is we've never done before, which is a six-hour coast in deep space. Um, that's actually going to go through the Van Allen belt, so it's going to experience a great deal of uh, radioactivity um, and uh, high-energy particles. So it's going to get whacked pretty hard. Um, it's really taking it uh, the grand tour through the Van Allen belts, and it's going to do that for about six hours. And also the fuel could freeze and the oxygen could vaporize, all of which could inhibit the uh, third burn, which is necessary for transmars injection. Once it's past that, is there anything that you're worried about uh, the sort of environment of space might do to the car? No, I'm not worried about the car. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> At least of my concerns, I hope. Yeah. Your next question comes from the line. By the way, if you, if you look closely in the what? car video, you'll see like a little Easter egg on the dashboard. It has. Okay, good. Your next question comes from the line. Can you speak up a little bit louder? We're having difficulty hearing you in our room. Your next question comes from the line of Alan Boyle from GeekWire. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, Thanks for taking the question. Um, What, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the the orbit. You mentioned at one point that it would be going out to the orbit of Mars. So it's going through the Van Allen belt and then onward. Is that the plan? Maybe a little bit more about uh, whether there would be any sort of rendezvous with the planet. Thank you. Yeah, well, the Van Allen belt's very close to Earth. So it's going to be doing this, um, like I said, grand tour through the Van Allen belt um, and gets that pretty hard. And then, assuming that it makes it through all that, it will do a, a quite a long burn for trans-Mars injection and go out to uh, Mars, Mars orbit, which is about 50% beyond that of Earth. So um, expect about the, the it'll get about a 400 million kilometers away from Earth, maybe 250 to 270 million miles, something like that. And um, be doing 11 kilometers per second, uh, and uh, and this, it's going to be in a processing elliptical orbit, um, with uh, one part of the ellipse being at Earth orbit, the other part being at Mars orbit. Uh, so it's essentially be an Earth-Mars cycler, 
Um, and we estimate it'll be in that orbit for several hundred million years, maybe in excess of a billion years. At times, it will come extremely close to Mars. And there's a tiny, tiny chance that it would hit Mars. Have you quantified that? Extremely tiny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, who's Your next? next question comes from the line of Marcia Dunn from Associated Press. Your line is open. Uh, thank you, Elon. Um, putting your Roadster on board, will that make success extra sweet for you or failure extra bitter on the other hand? How personal is it going to be for you this time around? It's always personal. I, I think, um, actually, what I find strange about this flight is that normally I feel super stressed out the day before. This time I don't. Um, but that may be a bad sign. I'm not sure. But I feel quite giddy and happy, actually. So I'm really hopeful for this flight going as, as planned. We've done everything we can. I, know, I, I want that's what I'm confident. I'm, I'm sure we've done everything we could do uh, to maximize the chances of success of this mission. Um, I think once you've done everything that you can think of, if it still goes wrong, well, there's not much more. There's nothing you could have done. So I feel at peace with that. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Faust from Space News. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for doing the call. Is there anything specific uh, about this launch? Any sort of technical issues you think have the highest risk uh, towards a successful launch? I think it's not it's not clear what would be the highest risk. <clears throat> the things I think about are the um, relative interaction of the three core boosters. Um, do they ha have some sort of resonance um, that we we weren't anticipating? Um, you know, so they, so they sort of shake shake together, potentially impacting one another, or. Um, uh, going through uh, the sound barrier, you get these high, you get these supersonic shock waves. Um, you could have some shock wave impingement, or where two shock waves interact and amplify the effect. Um, that could cause a structural failure as it goes transonic. Then around max Q, which is max dynamic uh, air pressure, um, that's where the force in the rocket is the greatest, and that's. Um, that's possibly where it, where it could fail as well. Um, the uh, we're, we're a bit worried about ice potentially falling off of the upper stage onto the nose cones of the side boosters. That that would be like coming coming like a cannonball through the the nose cone. And then the separation system has not been tested in flight. We've tested everything we can think of for the, the separation system for the side boosters on the ground, but we've this will be the first time it has to operate in flight. I think once we, once the second stage separates from the center booster, we're in much more known territory. And then everything from, from then on is relatively known except for the very long duration coast through the, through a very high radiation environment. Um, 
the, the Van Umbelts are these sort of, um, sort of where the magnetic lines of the Earth uh, cause uh, charged particles to effectively, you have charged particles flowing, flowing through Earth's magnetic lines. And it's actually a radiation environment significantly worse than deep space. Most people aren't, probably aren't aware of that. Um, you can think of the Van Belt as being effectively like a, a, a concentrating lens for uh, charged particles. Um, so it'll actually be in a far worse radiation environment than deep space for several hours. Must have survived that and then relight um, for the trans Mars injection. Um, yeah. That, that could go wrong. Your next question comes from the line of Dana Hall from Bloomberg News. Your line is open. Hi, thanks so much for taking the call. Could you clarify for people who maybe haven't been following Falcon Heavy's development closely how this fits into plans to send tourists around the moon? From your Instagram post today, it sounds like the moon plan is maybe now the BFR and not Falcon Heavy. Yeah, I think what we decided internally is to focus our future developments on on BFR. Um, now we'll see how the BFR development goes. If that ends up taking longer than expected, then we will uh, return to the idea of sending a crew dragon on Falcon Heavy around the moon. I'm um, potentially doing other things with crew on Falcon Heavy. Um, but right now, it looks like BFR development is moving quickly, and um, it will not be necessary to qualify Falcon Heavy for crewed spaceplane. We, we, we could be ready to do um, short hops of the spaceship portion of BFR. The, um, BFR essentially consists of a giant booster and a giant spaceship. The giant spaceship is the you only, once you're out of Earth's deep gravity well and thick atmosphere, um, for the rest of the solar system, you only need the ship. The, 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 the giant booster is, is only needed for Earth with its unusually deep gravity well and thick atmosphere. Um, so our focus is on the ship, and we expect to do, hopefully do short flights on the ship with the ship next year. Yeah, but, you know, this is aspirational. Your next question comes from the line of President Brennan. It, it's rather odd. I was looking at Falcon Heavy and thinking, it's a bit small. On the sand today, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks small. It's small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nicole, who was the next question from? Morgan Brennan from CNBC. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the time today. Uh, Ilan, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about sort of the business model for Falcon Heavy. With a $90 million launch price, I guess, especially given how much lower it is than sort of the other heavy lift rockets that are either available or, available or in development, how are you able to drive that price as low as you are? Well, the you know, Falcon Heavy is essentially, from a cost standpoint, um, it's Falcon 9 plus two side boosters, and we expect to recover all three cores, or at least two of the three cores, on on every flight. Um, those are development flights, so who knows what will happen with this flight. Um, but being able to reuse those those rocket booster cores means that the 
expendable portion of a Falcon Heavy flight is the same as a Falcon 9 flight. On Falcon 9, we expend the upper, the upper stage. We are in the process of recovering the, um, the, the fairing. We're getting better and better at uh, recovering the fairing. So we expect to recover the fairing and the booster, uh, or first stage of Falcon 9. So it's, like I said, only the second stage will be expanded. And what's interesting is that for Falcon Heavy, it's the same amount that's expanded, just the upper stage. So um, it means we're able to offer heavy, arguably super heavy lift, uh, or nearing super heavy lift capability um, for not much more than the cost of a Falcon 9. Which, I mean, if, this, if, if we're successful in this, it is game over for other, all other heavy, heavy lift rockets. It would be like trying to sell an aircraft where one aircraft company had reusable aircraft and, and the other, all the other aircraft companies um, had aircraft where that was single use and you'd sort of parachute, parachute out near a destination and the plane would crash land randomly somewhere. Crazy as that sounds, that's, that's, how, that's how the rocket business works. So bizarre. Your next question comes from the line of Irene Colts from Aviation Week. Your line is open. Hi, thanks very much, and good luck tomorrow, Elon. Um, the, uh, at what point in the demonstration flight uh, would you be comfortable achieving to go ahead and uh, fly ArabSat and your other uh, commercial payload? In other words, how, how much of the – I know you've said in the past a bit tongue-in-cheek perhaps, that you'd consider a success if you clear the, the launch tower, but uh, realistically to be comfortable putting commercial payloads on, uh, at what point um, in this flight uh, would you need to go? Well, I think we would, we'd want to have a you know, successful flight before we put any expensive or any, any commercial, any payloads, any, I mean, this is, this is a test flight. So seeing the test flight works, I think we'd be ready to put a, uh, satellites on the next the next mission. There's, there's so much that would be confirmed to work if this flight works. You can think of, the, of, of launch failures in two categories. There's the category of a design failure, which means that fundamentally the thing, there was a design flaw that prevents it from working. As soon as you have even one successful flight, you've eliminated the possibility of a design flaw. Then, then Thereafter, you have the um, errors of consistency, which is, did you make the rocket the same way? Uh, did you launch it the same way? And did you launch it under the same conditions? Um, and, but, but eliminating errors of design is, is massive, and even one flight is able to do that. Your next question comes from the line of Chewie Smiley. From space.com, your line is open. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, Elon, uh, last year you had mentioned, you know, a major pucker factor for this flight. It sounds like you're a lot more uh, confident uh, now than perhaps last summer. Uh, and, and I'm curious, you know, given the performance that you see uh, tomorrow on the, the launch, you know, what the, uh, you know, what your, your confidence level is or or your schedule plan is to kind of digest the data that you get, uh, analyze it, make sure that it all went as planned, uh, and then turn around for uh, for that next flight. I mean, what is the status then of the uh, the next uh, heavy flight? Thanks. Yeah, I think we'd be ready to do another heavy flight pretty soon. Um, certainly within another three three to six months, if need be. Um, the 
the, the, what's really unique about the, the heavy is the center core. I should say this, the, the, the airframe of the center core. The engines are the same. Um, the, the boost stage engines are all the same. The, um, uh, the side boosters are the same as a regular Falcon 9, uh, but just with, with a, a, um, a nose cap on. And, um, and so it's really, that, it's, it's really the production rate of the airframe of the center core, um, which is, including the interstage. And um, so, so we can really produce Falcon heavies at a pretty rapid rate. Um, so whatever the demand is, we'll be able to meet it. Your next question comes from the line of Tim Fernholtz from Quartz. Your line is open. Uh, hi, Elon. Thank you for doing this today. Uh, two questions. One is the Falcon Heavy we see on the pad now, does that have all the capabilities currently advertised on the website, or are those numbers for a future configuration? And two, just on the demand front, do you have a sense of how many heavies you'll be able to fly each year going forward if this flight is a success? Um, yeah, the, the the numbers on the on the website are for a um, you know for a full block five Falcon Heavy, um, assuming we sort of turned all the dials on performance. Um, uh, you know this this is this this Falcon Heavy is like mostly block four. Although if, if you if you wouldn't you wouldn't be really hard pressed to notice the, to visually notice the difference between four and five. Um, and the next block block uh, next. Falcon Heavy that flies will be Block 5. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly capable rocket. We can really dial it up to as much performance as anyone could ever want. Um, I mean, if we wanted to, we could actually add two more side boosters and make it Falcon Super Heavy with, you know, and even crank up thrust, probably get thrust up upwards of, um, you know, 9 million pounds of thrust or something like that for with, with uh, slight, slight engine thrust increase and two extra side boosters. Um, but the PFR is a simpler way to get there? Basically wouldn't need to light the center core in that situation. Um, so so that, that, that would give it a payload capability um, right on par with uh, Saturn V. Um, well, very, very close. Um, but uh, we think that the new BFR architecture is, is, is a better way to go um, because it would enable reusability of both the boost stage and upper stage and fairing um, in a very high throughput way. And BFR is sort of designed for being able to kind of launch every few hours, um, whereas the Falcon architecture is designed to be able to launch every few days in, in an optimal situation. Um, yeah. Your next question comes from the line of Marsha Smith from Space Policy Online. Your line is open. Uh, thanks so much for taking my call. I was hoping you could expand a little bit on your earlier answer about flying people around the moon and the BFR versus the Falcon Heavy. I'm not quite sure I followed all of that. You said that the BFR is a big rocket and a big spaceship, and the big spaceship is just a year or so away from flights, but it would be flying on something other than the BFR rocket. And uh, just generally speaking, when, 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 and when right. do you expect to be sending people around the moon? Yeah, um, if Falcon Heavy is absolutely capable of, of sending a uh, Crew Dragon or Dragon version two uh, that's under development and that will fly later this year for NASA, 
uh, of, of you know, with with a single stick Falcon 9, we can do. Uh, it's easy for us to do low Earth orbit missions or medium Earth orbit missions. Um, and then, as soon as you add Falcon Heavy on, we can touch uh, Dragon way past the moon. So it could actually go you know, further than they went in Apollo. Um, you could possibly even visit an asteroid or something like that. But uh, so that that was our that was our plan until last year. And then we thought, well, you know, maybe that we can make this BFR development go faster than we thought. Um, and if that's true, then there won't be much point in qualifying Falcon Heavy for uh, launching Dragon um, to make it fully manned rated. So, so we kind of tabled the, the your crew Dragon on Falcon Heavy in favor of focusing our energies on BFR. Um, you know, a BFR consists of two two parts. One is the the ship, and the other is the booster. So there's BRB, <laughs> the booster, um, which is kind of true because it will be right back. Um, the booster is going to will come back and land um, in um, probably less, probably about ten minutes from after liftoff. Um, and then uh, the the ship, which is the harder part, the ship's by far the hardest part of the BFR system uh, or the interplanetary transport system, because uh, the ship has to have a heat shield that's capable of rendering from very high velocities, so from uh, velocities way higher than, basically from, from interplanetary velocities as opposed to orbital velocities. Um, it's got to control itself through a wide regime of of, of everything from vacuum to rarefied gas to thin atmosphere, thick atmosphere, hypersonic, uh, supersonic, transonic, subsonic, uh, different uh, types of atmosphere, um, or different planets, um, and and then land on unimproved terrain and be able to take off on unimproved terrain. So that's a, that's a pretty ridiculous set of requirements for the ship. Um, that's why we're focusing on the ship first, because it's kind of the hard part. And then the 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 the, um, the BFB, oh, say BFB, not BRB, BFB um, is uh, we think that's we think pretty straightforward, because it's basically like a Falcon 9 boost stage, but with 31 engines instead of nine. Your next question comes from the line of Dave Mosher from Business Insider. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, I just have, I want to return to the question about uh, you know contingencies here. Um, Elon, can you kind of describe what the impact on the uh, Falcon Heavy program might be if this launch does not go as planned? Um, if it you know either explodes or there's some other issue. And then I also want to ask about uh, your uh, plan to do global global satellite coverage and how Falcon Heavy might play into that. Today's <laughs> topic is uh, Falcon Heavy. Um, so Falcon Heavy, yeah, it will be a real huge downer if it blows up. Um, but hopefully we will have learned a if it if it something goes wrong, hopefully it goes wrong far into the mission, so we at least learn as much as possible along the way. Um, this is a test mission. As I said, there's so much that can go wrong. So um, we don't want to set expectations of perfection or by any means. Um, I'll, I'll be happy 
I, I would consider it a win if it just clears the pad and doesn't blow the pad to the other ends. This, I mean, because that, that's four million pounds of TNT equivalent. So it's really not going to be much left if that thing lets loose on the pad. Um, so if it clears the pad and hopefully makes it through Transonic and Max-Q, I'd say those are big wins. And then, um, and if it's able to, if the boosters are able to separate properly, then that's another big win. Um, and then we're, we're kind of in a relatively normal regime of, um, because it becomes like a Falcon 9 at that point, apart from that very long coast um, mission that occurs after the, Van Al- the, the long tour through the Van Allen belt. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Clark from Space Flight Now. Your line is open. Thank you, Elon. Um, I, I did have a question about that long coast. Um, can you, you know, go through? Are there, are there any modifications or upgrades that you're introducing on the upper stage on this particular launch? And um, does that long coast um, help satisfy a demonstration for some of uh, the Air Forces and Naro direct geo insertion? Uh, type missions. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. The process is specifically designed to address the forces' need for a direct uh, a geosynchronous orbit tra- uh, insertion, uh, me- meaning we do um, initial burn to geosynchronous transfer orbit and then circularize at geo, which is approximately a six-hour coast. So that's, that's the main reason for that long coast. Um, Yeah, it's uh, what was that? Sorry, was it? What was Stephen, that? what was the second part of your question? What other part? Yeah. That's all. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Harris from Economist. Your line is open. <coughs> Oh, hi there. Thanks for taking the call. Um, um, just to go back to the Roadster, is there going to be any instrumentation on the Roadster or in the spacesuit and any um, communications uh, tech for, um, for getting that information back to us? Yes, yeah, so there's three cameras on the Roadster. Um, and um, there's, there's going to be a bunch of sensors on the upper stage, which, the you know, so we'll, we'll get a lot of data back. <laughs> but the, I think the most fun stuff will be the the three cameras that are mounted on the Roadster. Um, they should really provide some epic views if they work and if everything goes well. Um, but I think I recall the other part of the, the last questioner, which is did we make upgrades to the upper stage of the rocket in order to enable the six-hour coast? Um, we did increase the... Uh, we have uh, um, batteries that um, uh, last longer, and we have additional... Um, pressure and gas for attitude control thrusters and settling more than we normally would. Your next question comes from the line of Matthew Richardson from Orlando Business Journal. Your line is open. Hi, Elon. Thank you so much for uh, for taking my question. Um, so if anything goes wrong, um, how long might this push back your next try for the Falcon Heavy flight? Well, uh, if it blows up the pad, that's going to be a real pain in the neck because that probably take us at least nine to twelve months to get the pad uh, back in action. Maybe maybe eight months. I don't know. It would be that that would be the that would be the big problem. Uh, it, it, it won't affect uh, production. 
so we have a steady production line. Um, and so we'll be able to launch another Falcon Heavy as soon as the pad is ready. Um, so if this one doesn't um, go right, we could launch another one probably in three or four months. Nicole, we have time for one more question, and I think it's Steve Gorman from Reuters. Is that right? Correct. The line Great. is open. So this will be the last question for today. All right. So uh, my question is, how's it looking for tomorrow at this point? Uh, are we you still, to, as much as you can tell at this point with for, weather forecasts and, and other technical issues that you have to keep track of, uh, are, are we, does this look pretty, are you pretty confident that you're going to launch in tomorrow, on tomorrow's window, or you think it's a pretty good chance that you might? Amazingly, you might have it's looking like we are going to launch tomorrow. I thought for sure something would last, like we'd have some issue that we discover on the rocket or maybe bad weather, but the weather's looking good, the rocket's looking good. So should be an exciting day tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, we'll try to have a good time no matter what happens. Um, we will have a good time no matter what happens. Um, it's either going to be it's guaranteed to be exciting one way or another. It's either going to be an exciting success or an exciting failure. <laughs> That's make one big boom. So <laughs> I'd say tune in. It's going to be worth your time. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. We're on Twitter with the username at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and podcasts on our page at The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.